26 years, I've met a lot of people. I'm not talking about famous people. I'm just talking about church folks. I've met some of the greatest, most wonderful, humble, Christ-like people that have ever lived on the face of this earth. I've met people who have caused me to evaluate my commitment to Christ and their commitment as a layman. Somebody said one time, you know, we're paid to be good as preachers, laymen are good for nothing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen people walk with God and be committed to God and love God. And, and as I've heard some of their stories, I, I've, I've seen people that quite honestly, they had every reason in the world to be bitter. Every reason. Life had dealt them... Uh, sudden blow. The bottom had fallen out. The rug had been pulled out from under them. They had lived all their life with bad health or difficult circumstances. And yet there seemed to be something about those folks that just permeated the radiance and the love of God that, quite honestly, there were moments in my life that I couldn't understand how they could love God so much after having been through what they had been through. But they did. The other side of the coin is I've met some of the most angry and bitter people in the world who call themselves Christians. Something happened to them along the way and they got a chip on their shoulder, they got an attitude... They became angry and caustic and cynical and skeptical and they didn't trust anybody. And although they were thankful that God had saved them, believed that when heaven came they were going to be there and they, when they died they'd go to be with Jesus, but quite honestly they were mad at the world. And mad at everybody. Nobody could get close to them. They were like a porcupine. You just got close, you were going to get stuck. And everybody kind of kept their distance and walked around them and avoided them and you know, they, they just had something that was missing in their life. Although they claimed to have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them through Jesus Christ and His salvation, yet there was something strangely lacking in them. It may have been a bad marriage. It may have been the kids didn't turn out the way that they thought they would. It could have been a job situation or they got the short end of a stick, they thought, or... Uh, something went sour in their life or they didn't get the retirement that they thought they should get or they were easily offended and they were holding a grudge and sometimes it was decades old. And I've watched people allow bitterness to destroy their lives. I've seen people eaten up with bitterness that did things to their countenance and to their face, to their children that cancer could never do. I've seen it disseminate life and destroy life like AIDS could never accomplish. And although they walk around in seemingly healthy bodies, their heart is destroyed from within, and because they've allowed bitterness to enter into their lives, they in fact are committing emotional suicide. 
They carry a grudge, a burr, something that they can't let go of, something that they're always trying to defend and say, well, you don't know what happened to me. You don't understand what I've been through. And they're always willing to tell about their hurt and seldom willing to talk about what God has done to set them free. So today I want us to ask a question. Am I a bitter person? Is there something in my life today that if I don't deal with it, that it will bear bitter fruit in my life? And those who find themselves in the shadow of my life will find themselves eating that bitter fruit and the poison in my life being transferred to their life. You see, bitterness is one of those things that we think satisfies us because we feel like somehow we're, we're getting even. It's a, it's a form of revenge, but it never satisfies. It's never satisfying to, to get even. Some people have the attitude, you know, I'm not going to get mad, I'm going to get even. And, 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 but it doesn't satisfy, and when the deed is done... There's still an emptiness, and there's still the anger, and there's still the bitterness. It usually comes because someone has hurt us, or someone has offended us, or someone has torn away hope from our lives, and we get hurt, and we don't get over it. All of us have been hurt. There's not a person in this room, if you're not honest, that does not bear emotional scars, whether there are ever any physical scars or not. Some event, some circumstance, the environment you were raised in, whatever it might be, that you look at your life and you say, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get over that. And if you're not careful, rather than taking it in and receiving it and learning what God wants you to learn from it, you'll take it in and you'll allow it to turn into bitter poison in your life. Rather than grasping the stem, and even though there's a prick from the thorn, you smell the rose in it, you grasp and all you see is the thorn. And it's easy to do that. It is very easy to see nothing but the thorn. And I want to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. <clears throat> We're going to look at two verses of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. We'll spend a few moments in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Let's just kind of walk through these words. First of all, he says, see to it. Uh, he's saying, beware. It's the same word, the root word is the same root word for overseer, for the elder of the church who watches out for sin. He's saying, uh, by implication, we need to be careful. We need to inspect. We need to beware of what's going on around us. We need to focus and watch our hearts lest something creep in or slip into our lives that pulls us down and destroys our relationship with God. Notice that he says that we are to see to it and watch out lest we come short of the grace of God. The Billy Graham organization says that 90% 
of Christians in America are living defeated lives, unfulfilled lives. You know what? They're coming short of the grace of God. God saved them to make them something and to give them joy and abundant life, but they're living short of the abundant life and short of the fullness that God has for them. They've settled for something less than God's best for their life. They've, they've settled for something that is, that is meaningless. They've grasped at straws when there was gold there for them to have. And they're defeated. They're less than God intended. Potential but never realized. You know, potential means you hadn't done it yet. And all of us have the potential to live the life of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit on the authority of the Word in this world, but most of us fail to do it. Not because God is inadequate, not because somebody got more of the Holy Spirit than we did, not because the Word of God is more real than to some people than it is to others. We just haven't applied what God wants to do in our lives, and we've fallen short of the grace of God, and it's probably because something or someone got between us and a clear vision of God. We got our eyes off Jesus. We got our eyes on our circumstances. We got our eyes on an event, on a person, on a thing, on a tragedy, and we never let go of it. He says we're to watch, to see to it, that a root of bitterness, that could be a literal or a figurative root, obviously here it's figurative. The word bitterness means poison or bitter gall. It can also be translated extreme wickedness or bitter hatred. The root of that word is the same root in all the references to bitterness in the New Testament. It means to cut or to prick. To, to prick or to puncture, to cut. When, when bitterness takes root in us, it, it pricks us, it cuts us. It punctures our life and the poison begins to seep in and to enter our lives. And although it may seem like a small thing, it will eventually poison our system. What seems like a small cut, what seems like an incidental incident not dealt with, it will ultimately begin to bring bitterness out in our lives. Luke uses it in Acts chapter 8 and verse 23 with the man who was poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. The man who wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. The man who wanted the same power that he saw in, in Peter and John, and he said, I want to buy that so that when I lay hands on people, they can get the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter said, you need to repent. God's not in that. You're bound by bitterness. You're bound by iniquity. There's wickedness in your heart because you don't see that what God does is a pure work, not a defiled work. He goes on and he says that the root of bitterness might be springing up the word literally means to beget or to be born, to spring forth or to grow. It, originally, it meant to puff up or to swell up. It means to shoot forward. You see, where there is a bitter root, there will ultimately be bitter fruit. Sooner or later, if there is a root of bitterness inside of us, it comes out of us. We may hide it, we may gloss it over, we may try to cover it up, we may try to keep the surface clean, we may put on our front and our facade, but at some point in our life, in some incident, in some moment, the fruit will begin to come out. And God wants us to understand that this is not the way He intended it to be. There are bitter Baptists and mad Methodists 
and angry assemblies and caustic charismatics. You name the denomination, livid Lutherans. <laughs> I, I mean, they're everywhere. And yet the Scripture says we're not supposed to be that way. We are we are the body of Christ. We're supposed to be different. And when people see the body of Christ working there to see people who have been set free from all the baggage and the bondage that the world carries around, that's not supposed to carry itself into the church. We're supposed to be delivered from that and set free from that. And, and He has come to set the captives free and He's conquered death, hell, and the grave and whatever it is that you can't get over. It's made you bitter. If he can give you power over death and hell and the grave, if he can give you victory that you never taste the second death, if he can take you from this life to his presence without the sting of death touching you, he can deliver you from that thing that eats away at you. There's the fruit of bitterness. He says it causes trouble. Now, if there was ever an understatement in the Bible, that's it. The root of bitterness causes trouble. The word means to crowd in or to annoy. To crowd in or to... Bitterness wants to work its way in. It wants to annoy, to cause trouble. The ultimate result in, it kind of seeps itself in. You ever been at one of those uh, uh, parties and you know everybody's having a good time and then somebody shows up and you know, well, there goes the neighborhood. You know, because you, know, you don't want to ask them how they're doing because they're going to tell you. I mean, they just they always got to have something, you know, whatever's going on, they could have won the lottery and be griping about the taxes, you know. I mean, they're just, they're always finding something that they're eating up with. And they annoy and they trouble and they cause problems. This is a result of bitterness. It is contagious and it contaminates. The problem with bitterness, it doesn't stay in the person who is bitter. It's contagious. It's infectious. It causes trouble, and many are defiled. I wrote down some bitter statements. I can forgive, but I can never forget. But you don't know what they did to me. If I forgive them, then they'll get off the hook. I never want to see them again. They've ruined my life. I hate them. I wish I'd never met them. I wish I'd never known them. I wish I'd never married them. I wish I'd never seen them. See, what happens when we become bitter with another person, we actually become a slave to that person because our thoughts are dominated by them and what they're doing and how they're responding and how they're acting. And we can't see anything but them. They're, they're in every rearview mirror. They're in every driveway. They're in every home. They're in every meeting. We can't go anywhere without their thoughts possessing us and making us obsessed with who they are and what they've done and what's happened in our lives. And we get so consumed by it. We've got to tell everybody we see what they've done to us how bad life is for us. We can't drop it, and we can't get over it, and we can't move on. I think their theme song is, hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song? Either that or poor, poor, pitiful me. I'm not sure which one, but 
You know, they're always putting the quarter in the jukebox. Hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song and make me feel at home? Been done wrong? Join the human race. Jesus was done wrong. And He didn't hold it to our account. He set us free from the wrong that we did to Him. What would have happened if on the cross Jesus had not said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do to me? What if Jesus had said, I know what they're doing, and I'm not going to forgive a one of them? Where would we be today? How desperate would we be? How hopeless would our life be if God had not said to bitterness, it has no part in me. And it's supposed to have no part in us. Dr. S.I. McMillan claims that the negative emotions not only affect the mind but the body. He says that anger and anxiety and bitterness and hatefulness and unforgiveness can in fact lead to physical illness. In his book he writes these words, The man I hate may be many miles from my bedroom, but more cruel than any slave driver, he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a torture. The lowliest of the serfs can sleep, but I cannot. I must acknowledge the fact that I am a slave to every man upon whom I pour the vial of my wrath, dying in their own venom, but never able to die. Notice again at verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see God. You see, hellish thoughts and holy thoughts can't go together. You and I are either pursuing peace or we're causing trouble. You're moving in one direction or the other. You're either pursuing peace with God or you're causing trouble. You are either pursuing sanctification or because of your life many people are being defiled. You're either building up or you're tearing down. You're either exalting the Lord or you're tearing down somebody God created. You see, we're either pursuing the things of God or we're pursuing those things which will defile not only our lives but the lives of other people. And so the, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're to recognize the problem of bitterness. And he says in verse 31 of Ephesians 4, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The little word put away means to dispose of. It's a command. It says get rid of it. Put it out. You don't leave garbage sitting in your house. Don't leave garbage sitting in your life. Dispose of it. Get, turn on the disposal. Let it chew up and go into the septic tank where it belongs. All sin belongs in the septic tank, out of your life, not in your house. Let it be put away from you. Put away bitterness. That means something that's brooding under the surface. And usually bitterness is a refusal to be reconciled with something or someone. It's brooding under the surface. Wrath, that sudden outburst that ultimately comes out the first uh, blush of the fruit of bitterness. And Paul is going through a downward progression here. Anger, a general outlook on life. Angry, just mad. We live in an angry world. You know why? 
because we've allowed the core values of our lives to be destroyed and there's no absolute truth and there's no absolute right and wrong and our kids are being raised and they're angry because they don't know what they're supposed to believe. And they're disappointed in everybody and they're disappointed in everything and their lives are being destroyed and they're angry. That's why we've got kids killing kids and that's why we've got all the problems we do. They're angry because bitterness has crept into our society and has become, in fact, a constitutional right. We think freedom means the freedom to be bitter and angry and to lash out at people that you disagree with and to be ugly. Bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, Clamor refers to public quarreling, slander. That's a whispering behind the back. You know what that is. That's See, clamor's out in the open, slander's a little more quiet. And then malice, which is an overall disposition. But the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, put a sentinel around your heart, Station a guard over your heart, for out of it come the wellsprings of life. In other words, what's in your heart ultimately comes out in your life. What is down in here in your heart and in your soul and in your spirit ultimately finds its way out in your life and in your actions and in your attitudes. We are to repent, verse 15 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, by it many be defiled. The word defile there is a primary verb, and it means to taint or to contaminate. To taint or to contaminate. This is real important. If, if you leave a church to go to another church because you're mad at a pastor or a staff member, and you come here, you'll bring your bitterness with you. Before you ever join another church, you better take your bitterness out because what you're doing is you're taking your bitterness with you. You may think you're getting away from your problem, but you're not. If you have not gotten before God and resolved the issue of that marriage that failed and forgiven that partner that you said and they said, You'd love to death do your part, and that marriage is over. If you've not gotten before God and said, God, I feel wrong, I feel hurt, I feel cheated, I feel angry, but God, I don't want that to destroy my life. If you don't lay that out before the Lord, sooner or later, that's going to come in to your next marriage. You're just going to take those feelings with you to the next relationship. You cannot separate the two. Something will happen, something will be said, something will respond, and it'll come up, and you'll immediately begin to associate the new person with an old experience. Are you following me? You can't run from your troubles, and you can't run from your hurts, and you can't run from your pain. If your job has been severed and you've been cut off, then if you don't deal with that, you'll just get it to your next boss and you'll reflect all your anger on him. It's just the way we are. Bitterness not dealt with is not resolved by running. You never, ever, 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 ever solve your problems by running from them. 
You solve your problems by facing your problems and recognizing what it can do to your life and saying, God, only by your grace can I overcome the feelings that are inside of me and the hurt that's inside of me and the bitterness that wants to well up inside of me. Only through you can I overcome this so that I don't carry it with me for the rest of my life. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep carrying it and carrying it and carrying it and I'm not going to put it away like I'm supposed to. That's a command. It's not an option to put it away. Because if I don't, here's the warning. Many be defiled. Two things. First of all, my sin affects my life. See, when I choose to forgive somebody, I choose to live in freedom. When I choose to say, I know what they did, I know what they said, but I'm just not going to wear that baggage around my ankle anymore and drag it around with me, then all of a sudden I'm free. And I don't have to worry and sweat and strain about covering up anymore. My sin affects my life. Nobody sins in isolation, and nobody sins without it affecting them personally. But here's the one that you need to understand. My sin infects the people that I love. My sin infects the people that I love. You see, you say, well, it's just me. That's no problem. No, it's not just you. It's the people that you love. Many be defiled. I have watched people take their, their hatred for their boss or a church or a pastor or a staff member or an event or a spouse, and they have funneled that stuff into the people that they've loved, and they've taken that attitude, and they've taught them hatred. A friend of mine who grew up in a very famous home sat down with the daughter of that famous person one day who had only heard about her dad from her mom's perspective and asked the question, did my dad really love me? Because you see, in the divorce, all that was said about dad was, dad's bad, dad's bad, dad's bad. Did my dad really love me? Here's a girl in her 30s with her own children, trying to deal with, I don't know if my dad ever really loved me because mom's bitterness spilled out on the daughter toward the dad. It infects people. Let me ask you, is what you're bitter about so important to you that you're willing to hurt your children to hold on to it? Grandparents, let me tell you something. I've watched this in ministry for years. If a grandparent is bitter, their kids become indifferent to the things of God in the church, and they may still be religious, but that third generation will probably go to hell because they'll see so much that they don't like about the church and about what supposedly Christianity is, they'll walk away from it. They'll reject the gospel because they see a misconception of the gospel here that started with anger and bitterness over here. You see, what you do impacts future generations. And it doesn't do any good to love those grandchildren and to give them all the gifts in the world if what you're giving them at the same time is gall and bitterness, just pouring it out on them. 
I want to tell you a story of two ladies. One lady had a problem with bitterness all her life. She, she could never let go of things. She could never forgive. She could never forget. She had a problem believing the best about people. She was angry, she was jealous, she was resentful. She tried hard to cover all that up. She tried real hard to cover all that up. Because, like any of us, she didn't want people to see that side of her. But it was there. She was insecure, she was uptight, she was fearful. I mean, the baggage and the bondage that was there was just unbelievable. She was married to a young man, and they were separated during one of our wars by thousands of miles. And he was overseas serving his country, and you know, one of those situations where people go overseas and fight in a war, you never know if they're going to come back. And they had been married for a couple of years. And one day she wrote him a letter. And in that letter she said to him some very hurtful and cruel and bitter things. She pointed a lot of fingers at his past, even from the time when he was 16, 17 years old. She shared how she had, on her own initiative, written a letter to his high school sweetheart, which was long since moved away and demanded every picture and every letter that she had of him to be sent back to her. It was, it was six pages of pure venom. There's not as much poison in a rattlesnake as there was in that six-page letter. And she never got over it. She never overcame it. She tried real hard. But she never let the Lord set her free. And thus she infected her husband and her children and even her grandchildren. There's another lady. She stood on this platform Wednesday night and shared her testimony. Melanie and Mark are a very precious couple. They've been visiting our church and were presented for membership Wednesday night. Let me tell you a little bit about Melanie. Melanie was raised by a mom who, I'll use her terms, politically correct, her mom is Caucasian. And she has five siblings who are Caucasian. And she was told all her life that she was adopted. When she was 13, she found out that her adoptive mom was really her mom and that her father was African-American. 
When she was raised by her white mother, she was raised in a very socially elite, wealthy environment in New York. Because of the shame associated with her finding out the truth, she was sent to live with her dirt poor father in North Carolina with six siblings, all of them African American. Melanie is half Caucasian, half African American. When she went to live with her father, she had to assume the role of mom and wife. She was repeatedly raped and sexually abused by her father, who in fact was preaching in a church and preaching on Sundays about children obey your parents. And so he continued to abuse her. Melanie eventually went to college, got out of that home. She's had in her marriage nine miscarriages. She's pregnant, going to have a baby in another week or so. She told us Wednesday night that one day the Lord just began to deal with her about her bitterness, and she read... Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. And she went and confronted her father, and she told him that she forgave him for what he had done to her. And within an hour, her father was saved. She said, I had to let go of my bitterness so that my father could be saved. Now, here's one girl that has been at the bottom and has been at the top and back to the bottom and back to the top, just over and over. Every right in the world to be bitter. But she stood here, right here, just a few days ago and said, you know, I know God's seen me through all this. And she's not bitter. The other lady, oh, she was my mom. And I lived all my life trying to deflect her bitterness. Because you see, her bitterness spilled over to everybody. It affected the success of my dad's business because of the way she treated the customers. It affected every relationship that I ever had because of the way she treated my friends because she didn't trust any of my friends. It affected every girl I ever dated because she never approved of any girl I dated. It affected my wife. It affected my kids. It affected my dad. It beat down my dad. It defeated him. The letter, oh, it was found in a drawer cleaning out my parents' house. I want to ask you something. What is it that you're doing that your kids are going to have to deal with? Because you're unwilling to let go of some things that should have been forsaken a long time ago. What is it that you can't get over? Somewhere down life's road, your kids have got to discover and deal with 
Oh, I knew some of the truth. Now, by reading letters written by my mom and dad, I know all the painful truth. And I'm going to tell you, what my mom was bitter about wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it because she drugged that stuff all the way through her life and try as hard as she did, she could never let it go. She could never get over it. And now I have to work very hard to make sure that it doesn't spring up in me and that it doesn't spring up in my kids. Because, you see, our sin affects us, but it infects everybody we love. Would you pray with me, please?